streaked with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney, who I might add, might also be the very best home teacher you've ever had. I show up every Tuesday night at the same time in your homes. I hope you recognize me as such. If you have family or friends who cannot watch Heart of the Matter on cable or direct TV or dish, have them go to www.hotm.tv and click on streaming video. They can watch the program live from anywhere in the world. We thank and praise God Almighty for uh, making these things possible in spite of our inadequacies. There are thousands, if not millions, of people out there whose names are on the records of the LDS Church, and they shouldn't be. For many of them, having their names on the records of Mormonism serves to tie them to that religion uh, and therefore makes genuine progress in their Christian walk difficult. In an effort to help people find freedom in Jesus, we started a campaign a year or so ago and we called it Project Abandoned Ship. Now, um, many people being prompted by this campaign, prompted by the Holy Spirit, have left leapt off the Mormon Titanic and into the, the, the safety uh, boat of Jesus Christ. And we want to invite you to do the same. Now, how do you do it? Well, on the screen, we're going to show you three websites that will give you uh, introductions on how to proceed. You can see www.bornagainmormon.com. You can see www.utlm.org. And you can see www.mormonnomore.org. Of course, we always recommend UTLM for all your research needs. Go to them because they're excellent. Now, some of you don't feel taking your name off the records of the LDS Church is really necessary. Naturally, it's a matter of choice. But there are some very good reasons why you might want to make the jump. First of all, you send a message loud and clear to those guys in the suits up in Salt Lake City saying you're not going to put up with this religious charade anymore. And maybe they'll start making some doctrinal and, uh, and, and changes in their practice instead of uh, just public relations moves. Now, uh, second, you'll find a message. You'll, you might find that the message goes to your own family and friends if you let them know about it, which might give them the courage to follow your lead. We have seen entire families and extended families uh, abandon ship because one of the members actually had the courage to jump first. So uh, third, many people believe that there are spiritual blessings from taking their names off the rolls. And uh, we hear from quite a few people who have done it and they all seem to share common sentiments that include things like, I 
feel such a weight off my back or it was such a relief or I'm no longer in bondage. I'm happy it truly made a difference in my life. I finally uh, took action instead of them letting them act upon me. And guess what? None of them imploded and none of them uh, fell into some dark chasm. In fact, they just leaned back and enjoyed the liberty that is found in a relationship with Jesus. Look, Mormonism is another gospel. It's a counterfeit to biblical Christianity. And while some individual Mormons may be Christian, uh, Mormonism is not, never has been. Uh, free yourselves, you have nothing to lose but your chains. You know, life often presents us with some very painful experiences and we usually can't do anything about them, but tonight maybe in my own personal life I can. Uh, a couple nights ago, I was in downtown Salt Lake City in the evening waiting to catch a cab on 2nd South and Main, and a, a woman who was wearing a, a, a pink feather boa and a dress about the size of a 10-year-old's tank top came up and sort of slinky-like asked me if I wanted to have a good time. And I explained to her that I was not up to that, and she whispered, well, I am. And uh, I was like, well, you know, let me get step a little bit away from the smell of gin and cigarettes and cheap perfume and share with you about Jesus and sin. And this freaked her out and she got scared. She started to run away. But as she ran away, she dropped a picture of herself out of her book. And, and so I have a picture of her right here. She says her name is Millie. That's what she said. I asked what's your name as she ran away. And she's from uh, the Ogden area. So let's see if we can get a close-up of that. Her name is Millie, that says. And if you see Millie, please tell her that she doesn't need to turn on the red light, that she can go and, and be free from all this corruption. I don't think her husband knows about this secret life she has. And we can hopefully help her. If you see her in the Ogden area, reach out to her in love and help her get over this problem. So uh, maybe we could do something with that. Hey, October 31st, Halloween night. 10.30 p.m., we are launching our new live call-in program, The Gray Generation. Live bands, guest uh, Christians, um, contests, uh, interesting topics. We have an introduction that we want to show you. Let's take a look at it, uh, at it now.
we're going to be addressing everything that has to do with life as a teenager in this fallen world and hopefully uh, speak about Jesus in the process and lead those kids to an answer that is eternal. So join us October 31st, Halloween night, 10.30 p.m. Tell your friends, tell those kids in your neighborhood to tune in. Hopefully we can change some lives. Two years ago, we took an entire day and interviewed people and we, several dozens of people, and finally, that shows how far we are behind on things, we got one of those edited up, uh, Marcus edited up one, and so we wanna show you the first interview from way back then, and it's from people who came out of Mormonism, so let's run that now. Hi, we're with Michael, a young man who uh, has an LDS history, and now a Christian present. Tell us about that. Um, well, I was born in Colorado and I was born into the church and my mom raised me as an LDS young man and uh, I moved to Utah when I was 11 and then my participation in the church really increased. I became deacon's corn president, teacher's corn president, bishop's assistant when I became a priest and uh, then all that. And then uh, when I was 17 I was studying hardcore trying to learn the gospel to be a missionary and uh, some things happened in my life. This, my family, I had to live in a hotel, a lot of bad stuff with my friend. My friend came home early from his mission and that just sort of let me fall away from the church and I became a Jack Mormon, but I was still really defensive about it. If anyone challenged the church, I was I was on the front lines ready to... <laughs> Battle it out, huh? Yeah, and then um, I had a friend named Kyle who became saved around the same time that I left the church and uh, he, uh, he kept showing me the, the gospel the way it truly is and eventually uh, Took him a couple of years, but I eventually got to me. I was at war camp. You were there, and we all had a kind of a corporate prayer, and it, that's when it's when God's spirit came into me, and I got saved. How has your life changed, Michael, since you've come to know the Lord? What do you sense within your life that's different from when you were a participative uh, LDS? Well, from the very first second that I got saved, uh, a huge burden was lifted off of my shoulders, like. My family's still having financial problems. There's still all that friend drama that's going on, but like it, it all seems to just matter less because now I have God in my life, and that's, that's what I know I'm I'm here here for. And mm -hmm. I mean, f financial situations aside, it's, I I'm glad that I have the Lord in me, and I want to praise God, praise God. Are you uh, now? Uh, how's your walk? Are you getting involved in reading the Scripture, going to a Christian church? Oh, I, I love to, when I miss church, it makes me sad. I love to go to church. I love to read the Bible. I love spending time with other Christians. Um, I mean, yeah, I just, I love talking about God. Like if I had my choice, I'd quit my job and spend 24 hours a day talking and helping people come to Christ. Someday you might. Anything you'd like to share with people who may be searching, who may wonder or final thoughts? Um. If you are searching for the truth, just look. It's in it's in the doctrines. It's in the Bible. It's it's everywhere. And don't be afraid. I mean, your family can abandon you. Your friends can abandon you. But if you come into Christ, He won't ever abandon you. And that's really what the whole deal is. So praise God. What a great testimony. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. It was a real blessing to interview Michael and the several dozens, like 40 some odd people that day. We're going to continue to try to bring those out, edit them up, and show you one every week for the next a few years. So, uh, you know, the Bible is rife with a central message. Mankind needs to die to his or her natural self. In Matthew 23, 12, 
Jesus says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. We also know in Romans that it speaks of believers dying to their old selves, being crucified with Christ, and seeing and following God in the newness of spirit. So almost everywhere you look, there are uh, admonitions for Christians to die to their flesh, to see our sinful nature, and then to live According to the Spirit, it's in a higher way. It's in a better way. It's leaving the fleshly things behind. Yet all around us, uh, even in the body of Christ, we see living examples of individuals, myself included sometimes, living according to their original birth and their birth of the flesh and not even attempting to walk by the newness of the Spirit. In the 1969 Satanic Bible written by Anton LaVey, he says on page 96, listen to this closely, he says, if I can find it, boy, isn't that a bait to get you all excited, and now I can't find out what he said. Well, essentially what he said, I, I lost the paper, he said, the most important day of your life, the day that you should celebrate above all others, is your own birth. It's your birthday. You are a God in the flesh. Why would you want to celebrate the birth of somebody else you've never seen? It's your own birthday that means that is so important. And he went on to talk about the importance of birthdays. Well, why am I saying all this? In the last general conference, Thomas S. Monson, having an opportunity to talk at length about anything he choose to talk about, said, just over a year ago, I was interviewed by the church news prior to my birthday. At the conclusion of the interview, the reporter asked what I would consider the ideal gift that members worldwide could give to me. I replied, find someone who's had a hard time or is ill or, or is lonely and do something for him or her. I was overwhelmed when I received this year for my birthday hundreds of cards and letters from members of the church around the world telling me how they had fulfilled my birthday wish. The acts of service range from assembling humanitarian aids and doing yard work, dozens and dozens of primary uh, challenged the children and provided service and those acts of service were recorded and sent to me. I must say that the methods of recording were created and then they showed a montage of all the cards and gifts addressed to President Monson and the kids kind of competing to see who did more service in Thomas Monson's honor for his birthday. And then he said, I just want to share with you some of the countless notes that I received and he began to shed tears. And now I want you to compare this attitude of this man who calls himself a prophet of God and his attitude toward his birth with the attitude of a real prophet. His name is Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14 through 18. I think it's going to come up on the screen. He said, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. 
and let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontide because he slew me not from the womb or that my mother might not have been in the grave and her womb be always great with me. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame. That's the prophet Isaiah. Nowhere in the Bible do you ever see a birthday celebrated by anybody except Herod. And in the uh, history of the church from the writers at the antiquities, we find that um, uh, Pilate also celebrated his birthday. In fact, early church writers who were not part of the body, but Origen, who was part of the Catholic uh, church in the third century, he wrote that only sinners, this is like a quote, only sinners recognize the, the day, or only recognize the day of their birth, for the saints do not. We have uh, uh, other quotes from, I think his name is Abaddon, and I don't have those papers, I forgot them somewhere, but Abaddon also said that this idea of birthdays is ridiculous among the Christians. The Jews never practiced a birthday celebration. The Christian, early Christian church never practiced birthday celebrations. Why? Because that is a birth of the flesh. And that is not something we rejoice in. Now, if you want to celebrate the birth of your renewal in the spirit, what? that's fine. I think that's a great idea. And I understand birthdays and, and people wanting to do good for others and those things, okay. But man, when you start building things around it and glorifying yourself for it and making people do things for you in your name on that day of birth, it's a horrible thing. Just to let you know how it passes down. This is a Relief Society newsletter that someone gave me just the other day. It's from the Uinta Second Ward. And it's for the October newsletter. I'll just let you get a close-up on that. Now, if you read the front of this newsletter, what you'll find is General Conference is mentioned six times. Joseph Smith and his life is mentioned six times. Halloween, there are two pictures to celebrate that, and two that, uh, uh, times Halloween is mentioned. Birthdays are mentioned 19 times on this letter of individuals. Jesus, none. This is the result of men who stand up and talk about their birthdays and what you can do for them on their birthday, even if the acts seem good and Christian. Everything should be done for the Lord as unto the Lord and to nobody else. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. We pray you'll be with our listening audience here in the studio wherever they are in Utah, Idaho, or this world. We pray you'll, watch, you'll bless our YouTube audience and that I'll be able to deliver this message as you would want, answer the calls as you would want. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we're going to talk about one of the unfortunate fruits of Mormonism, which is never mentioned in their Ensign magazines. It is never mentioned in the church news, and it is never mentioned at their church uh, general conferences. It's the fruit of atheism. And while atheism can become the end game for any person of any rel structured religious walk, it is especially prevalent uh, as an after effect among the disaffected Latter-day Saints. The reasons for this are fairly obvious. When any religion uses um, total indoctrination of its membership. The natural result, once the member learns that the organization has been lying to them, is to completely distrust any and all religious authority, and in many cases, to even renounce the existence of God altogether. 
Strange as this may sound, I believe that while some people are born atheists and others slowly corrupt and decay over time to embrace this mindset of misery, there are still those unfortunate souls because of religious lies and religious abuse and religious trauma that they have endured. They come to actually hate or renounce the existence of God. For a period of my time of my life, I embraced nihilism uh, as a form of a belief just because I was so burned by what I found my uh, 40 years as a Latter-day Saint to really amount to. In light of Mormonism's dogmatic claims that they possess the whole truth and that they have the absolute authority of God relative to priesthood and lifestyle and revelation, the afterworld atheism, it can only be expected. It, it's, it's an anticipated end for many people. Where else can a person turn when they discover that the institution that they have trusted and believed has lied to them? They usually can't go to another religion. They've been taught forever that this was the only true one. We maintain that this is one of the unspoken fruits of Mormonism, and it's a direct product of what we also call their scorched earth policy. Because to them, Mormons are always taught, because of them, Mormons are always taught, it's us or nothing. We have the full truth. So if you're taught that, and then you find out you're not, it's scorched earth. Everything else is burned over, and you just can't live any other way. Um, it seems that many faithful LDS parents, and I, and I mean this sincerely, it's, it's gonna sound brutal, but it seems in my experience that many, even most faithful LDS parents would rather have their children become addicted to substances and still claim they believe in the church than to live a life free from the things of this world and be believers in Jesus as Christians. They would rather have their kids experience all sorts of personal trials and trouble and die in those sins uh, or state and remain believers in Mormonism than to leave Mormonism and to have clean, loving, healthy lives. And, and this is not um, made up. I've seen it. I could probably bring people on here who could testify of it. We want to speak to those of you who have burned the mothership down and who have walked from Mormonism and from God altogether scorching their faith to a crispy state of inert dust and living in a now semi-state of nihilism. Before I address atheism, though, I want to say something to those of you who have a spiritually scorched life. And I know you're there because we get your emails. God is calling you. And he has never, ever stopped calling you. He sent his son especially for you. He provided a, a natural world that tells you every time you open your eyes and look that there is a creator and he is there. I know the personal void that is within you. I also know of your wish possibly to believe and your inability to get over that, that you cannot believe no matter what you try. It's like you have been brutally mind raped by a church for your entire life and then you're flipping through the channels and you come to me and you hear me telling you, come on to Jesus, come on to Jesus. You think I'm trying to do the very same thing. And I want to tell you that I'm not suggesting this in the least. All I'm asking you is to go to the source directly. Go to him and seek out his truth. Um, ask him to open your eyes. Now, certainly there is 
and acquiescence of the will. Uh, what would be the point in questioning or petitioning God if you have your mind set up that you're not going to hear what he has to say? So you do have to be open to hearing what he will say. You do have to be open to saying, I will see if you show me. And not go and say, okay, I'm going to take this challenge and then just have your mind set up to begin with. God knows that. He reads your heart. So when you can openly and genuinely search, you will discover him if you're honestly seeking. Don't let the scorched earth actions of some religious zealots who do not comprehend the meaning of true grace and unconditional love forever alter your spiritual lives. Go to him, ask him to reveal himself, ask him to give you a new heart. And I don't think you can go wrong with the challenge. So let me speak for a minute with you about your faith in no God. Let me take a drink here for a second. It's a funny way to put it, isn't it? Your faith in no God. Atheism is a faith, my friends. It is an ardent belief as much as theism is an ardent belief. Only atheism is fueled by the fodder of skepticism and doubt and dark cynicism, which is bred in the chambers of the will, of intellectualism, and by a constant, constant vigil to renounce rather than to embrace, to refuse rather than to see, and to proudly stand with your head unbowed rather than humbly bend your head in his presence. I'm going to touch on one aspect of atheism tonight. I hope you will consider it. Alistair McGrath notes in an article called Challenges to Atheism that one of the first idea atheists maintain is that believing in God does not lead to a morality that is clearly superior uh, to the morality offered by a secular culture. What he's saying there is believing in God doesn't produce any type of morality among people than the morality that's produced by people who renounce God. Then he goes on to point out that no real growth of atheism has ever really occurred until the 18th century when the French Revolution propelled atheism to center stage in the human theater. One of the reasons atheism got its leg at, legs at this time was because the French church was seen as being centrally tied to the establishment, which those supporting the French Revolution absolutely hated. And it's no wonder that this occurred. When churches are more interested in their own growth and their own status over the needs of the people, they ought to burn, or they ought to at least admit that they're not in the business of what God wants them to be in. Unfortunately, along with the churches in the French Revolution, faith in God was also put to the stake and torched. And atheism took its first real breath in an atmosphere of a civilized nation, France. Unfortunately, many people in early modern Europe made a very bad conclusion. They began to believe that religion was an oppressor and that atheism was a liberator. Going back to a verified and ancient book called Isaiah, Jesus the Messiah was prophesied of and about and described in very different terms than that of an oppressor. Listen to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 61.1. The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, and he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. 
What a clarion call this could have been for those French revolutionaries. When Jesus himself was alive, which has been historically written by non-Christian authors, he said of himself, I have come that they might have life and that they have, might have it more abundantly. So what actually happened when atheism actually did gain power for the first time historically? And what have been the results since it has been in control over countries ever since? Is it love and kindness and beauty and a more abundant life? Do theistic attitudes and atheistic attitudes play out the same way if they're given a chance to govern people? Atheists, ask yourself that. One of the biggest complaints modern atheists have against Christianity and against other theistic religions is that they have flourished from soil that has been hydrated by innocent blood, meaning that violence is the result of people believing in God. Atheists love to pull out that card and say, look at all the violence that has occurred in the name of God by religious people. Um, now, I don't want to try to uh, fool you or pretend that very bad things have not happened at the hands of men and women who were considered God-fearing. Whether they really were is a matter of debate in my mind. But certainly some theistic rulers uh, have committed their fair share of atrocities over the course of history. We can't forget the Spanish Inquisition or how the Roman Catholic Church um, behaved towards the French when they were in cahoots with the uh, Bourbon monarchy. Those things, obviously. I mean, even in this very state, there was a thing called the Mountain Meadows Massacre where little children were killed in throat slit in the name of God. So, um, but then how do atheistic regimes fair when they find themselves in a position to govern countries as well. Are they any better? In every single case, every case, um, atheistic states, if given the opportunity to flourish, end up oppressing the people, often with more blood and horror than any other regime. But in every case, remember Stalin? the Soviet bloc, Eastern Europe after the Second World War, the Democratic Republic, a German Republic, Cuba, Communist China, North Korea. Uh, here's the point, and listen, my atheist friends, listen very closely to me. The question is not which form of governance is superior, uh, theistic or atheistic, though I would argue statistically atheism fails miserably by comparison, but the real question is this. Can man and his institutionalized ideologies ever be trustworthy? And in the hands of mortals, does absolute power corrupt absolutely? The answer is absolutely. And the point is our world solutions have never been realized by any ism or ist, any more than our spiritual solutions have ever been realized by any institutionalized um, uh, religion. Men, women, and even children, read Lord of the Flies, are fallen. And here's what the atheists forget. The governments of man, the religions of man, the institutions of man, fallen and are all subject, whatever their position, to becoming corrupt or being corrupt. So what, does, what do we do as individuals living in this world uh, when we are born alone and we are going to die alone, what can we turn to? You cannot go wrong in turning to a personal relationship with the true and living God. 
That is the solution, not how men govern or fail to govern, but what he will give you. And he promises he'll give you uh, if you just have faith. And the next result will be you will love like no other. Go to him, learn of him, let your eyes be open. Next week, we'll continue to make an argument against atheistic ideology, a natural fruit of the LDS scorched earth policy by comparing the theist world to the atheist worldview. Before we uh, go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We ask LDS callers to call. We ask first-time callers. We ask you to turn your TV down. We want to uh, just show you our spot for our partners program. It helps us stay alive financially and on the air. So we'll run that and come back to your calls. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Alathia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. We are going to Danny from Dallas, Georgia on line one. Danny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, I'm a Messianic Jew. Um, I've, I guess I've got a question. I'm a... Under the law of Moshe, or as most people call him Moses, um, I know that, like, there was this thing, like, I remember when Moses was out in the wilderness and God told him to speak to the rock for the water to come out, and said he tapped it with his staff. Yeah. God said, because you've done this, you won't inherit the promise then. Well, obviously, we're under the new covenant, or as I call it, the Brit HaKadashah. Um, we, it's like, it's, I know there's some things God's promised me, and say, if I, if I did something stupid or whatever, would God revoke that promise? And that's interesting, because we're saved by grace, does that mean that God, because like, I know he said he wouldn't remember our sins anymore. Do you understand what, do you understand, do you understand what my question is? Sort of. So let me restate it. Are you asking that if God has made a promise to you, will he revoke that promise? Yeah, I guess. No, never. Even if, even if it's something stupid, I guess. Yeah, because we do things stupid all the time. Uh, now, here's the thing. I would, I would imagine we would have to look at the context of the promise made. For instance, if he says, you know, if you uh, early to bed, I'm making a proverb up. Early to bed, early to rise will make you wise. And uh, if you don't, well, you're up to your own. You know, you might find that uh, your life won't go the way it wants under certain things. But when it comes to his promises that are made in stone, like to Abraham, remember it was God who fulfilled the promise that Abraham, while Abraham slept. It is God who, and Jesus who fulfilled the promise for our salvation by going to the cross. So you cannot go wrong in trusting God and his promises. Uh, when you start trusting in yourself to be able to fulfill those promises, you might find yourself in trouble. Because right, one, one of the promises God made to me 
um, is that, you know, I'm going to have a family and that my future generations will be blessed. And, and it's, I don't know, see, I, I got saved, I uh, received a show about a year ago, and I almost converted to Mormonism. Wow. And I thank God, I, don't, I thank God, I trust me, I know, I know what they do in their temples and everything, and yeah. it has nothing to do with what the temples, what, what was done in the temple under the Old Covenant. And Great to hear that from a Messianic I honestly don't Jew. know where they get the Melchizedek priesthood, because Jesus is our high priest, and I don't... Amen. Be, first of all, and first of all, to be an ironic in the ironic priesthood, you have to be a descendant of Levi. Amen. Exactly. You cannot get that through laying on a hand. So I don't know where in the world Joseph Smith got that from. Yeah, uh, he got a lot uh, of things from places we don't know in the world. Uh, yeah, but I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, if God made that promise to me that I'm going to have a family and everything, then obviously He would keep that promise. And even uh, if I did something stupid, He would not revoke it or something. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Well, when you say do something stupid, do you mean like get a vasectomy or something? I mean, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. No, 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 yeah. not at all. Not at all. Hey, hey, uh, really appreciate your call, Danny. Uh, I, I love uh, Jews, uh, and I love Messianic Jews, and I wish I had uh, your training and knowledge and history. Uh, and so I am grateful for uh, Jews of all shapes and sizes and walks. And I know that God is going to fulfill whatever promises he's made to you, my friend. Uh, thank you, my brother. Actually, it's funny because I think I'm actually from the tribe of Dan, but don't worry, I'm not a Danite. Really <laughs> that's, that's good to hear, <laughs> even though your name's Danny. Yeah, Take... well, my, my full name's Daniel, but I've been called worse. So it's, uh... All right, my friend. Thanks for calling. All right, shalom, my brother. Shalom, bye-bye. We're going to Scott in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Scott. Um, I've um, left the ODS Church, and I attend a Christian church, but my wife and two kids are still real active in the uh -huh. church. And one of the problems I've run into is um, they don't like to pray with me because I don't do the ro robotic LDS prayer anymore. Oh. And I talked with my wife the other day about it, you know, and she said, you know, she missed me praying with them. And I said, well, you know, honey, it's just, you guys get so offended. And she goes, well, if you just started it, you know, with Heavenly Father, Father in Heaven, and ended in the name of Jesus Christ, we'd pray with you. But sometimes you say in the name of Jesus, or you start with Lord, because, you know, as a Christian now, I just pray with, with, with my heart. You know, I don't have this real robotic yeah. prayer. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder what the advice would be. Should I pray like a Mormon with them so at least I'll pray with them? Because I just feel it's, it's, it's intolerant. You know, I told her, I said, it's very intolerant and uncompromising you know, yeah. to demand me to pray like that because I'm not LDS anymore. Well, you I know, Scott, pray. in my opinion, you uh, should pray the way the Spirit tells you to pray. And in the long run, your children will remember those prayers and they will resonate to those prayers that they hear, even if you're, I don't understand how you're not allowed to pray with them, but um, if they that's... Just get, they, 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 they get offended. Wow. Yeah, they feel like I'm being disrespectful to them because well, I'm not. Well, you could also, I mean, my, my opinion was to continue that way, but remember Paul said, you know, I become the, to the weak, I become weak, to the Greek, I become Greek, to the Jew, I become Jew, uh, so that I might win all for Christ. So maybe, you know, if, if, if you could tell your wife, you know, I want to respect you and, and your thoughts on this. Uh, and then so say, our Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I praise you. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I'm kidding kind of on that. But you know what I mean. I understand because at the same time, I miss praying with them. And I think, you know, there's that. 
I do my thing now, and they do their thing spiritually, and there's no unity with oh. the family that way because, you know, they go their way and I've gone my way. But, you know, prayer is so strong, and it's, that's about the only way I guess I interact with, with them spiritually. Yeah. You know? but, but, but they feel like I'm being disrespectful if I'm not opening and closing, you know, the standard ro ro robotic... Give them, give them what they want in that maybe. And you just, you know, Satan wants to see families destroyed. He, he loves that. And I don't think God is going to be uh, holding you to task because with your family, you're kind of working with them uh, to, to, to come to him. So, uh, yeah, and you know, I just, you know, like I, like I said, I don't at all intervene. I mean, they, they're coming to terms. It's been very hard, but they're coming to terms because they see that I'm still strong in the Lord. Good. And I'm still li living a good Christian life. I haven't turned into this evil apostate like yeah. they thought I would. You know? Yeah. You keep loving them, uh, Scott. Let the Lord guide you in those prayers. And I, I, I can bet that as you love them and show them Jesus, they're going to come around. All right. Thanks. All right. All right, my brother. You take care. Okay, you too. Bye. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Randy in Taylorsville. Randy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Um, I just thought I'd like to address uh, Grace for a second. Grace, okay. Yeah, um, okay, you, you say that uh, the Mormons, they put the cart before the horse, and I, I agree with that totally. Yeah. But um, I'm concerned that um, a majority of the Christians are starting to leave the cart out altogether. Yeah. That, that they uh, emphasize grace and diminish the law, you know, or the obedience to the law. Well, um, that's, let me explain this. There is no law, Randy, when you go and you read um, Romans. We are dead to the law, in fact. So there is no obedience to the law because what happens is if you try to be obedient to the law, you then are acting by your flesh. And when you start acting by your flesh, you've taken control of things yourself and not the spirit. And then if you fail in that, you become broken, which leads you back to Christ. But if you succeed in that, you'll start judging others and being proud. So no, I'm, Paul, not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, okay, in Hebrews, it says that um, he writes his law in our hearts, and we are, we, are, uh, we are convicted when we break the law that, that it shows us our need for, the law is a mirror that shows our need for uh, sin, because breaking the law is sin, according to First yeah. John, right? Yeah, and we all have sin. But we, yes. can, we can also, if you, if you turn to First uh, John 3, it says, and this is the commandment, okay, that we should believe on the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. So while I understand your point, believe me. I understand the point of people who are claiming Jesus and they're living like, you know, their witness is not showing that they have claimed Jesus. I understand that and I agree with you. We are finding a lot of very worldly Christians. Jesus said, hey, their seed is cast on ground and they're choked by the cares of the world. So I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, we have to make it clear that there is no law in that. It's the law of love and it is the law of faith. We, our hearts, our spirits then follow the law of God while our flesh will still sometimes follow the law of sin. Paul said that as well. So while I understand your point, that there is too much carnal Christianity going, going on. Bottom yeah. line, uh, there are not restrictives that we still have to go by in order to prove to God that we are His. We do that for uh, yeah, our... I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying that 
we have to prove it. I'm saying out of gratitude, we uh, we we strive for that. Okay, let's do one thing before we go to the next call. Give me an example of that. Give me one example of a Christian in not doing what you're taught, who's who's failing in in the law. Give me an example of that. Not the person, but just the illustration. Um, what do you mean? Give me an illustration of a Christian who is who is failing in their ability to do what you think they should be doing. I, I, I'm not trying. Well, what's your criticism okay. of the present day church? What's your criticism of Christians today? That they're, uh, they, they just, they diminish the law. Okay, give me an example. Give me an example of the law. Give me an example of the law they're diminishing. Well, Jesus said, if you look on someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And if so, what does that what does that do to you, Randy, uh, as a man, when you go to the beach and these women take their clothes off in front of you and and you look at them? What does that do to you when you realize that you are a sinner in your heart? Because I it know that I. What does it do? It should lead you to the cross. That's right. And so you're broken by that, but does it mean that you have been able to avoid looking on that woman with lust? No, it shows us that we are, we are it shows us our need for the, the law shouldn't be thrown out. It should be used as the means to the cross. And, 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 and if that's not happening, if people are not saying, well, I can lust all I want, I can do what I want, and I'm still a Christian, you're right. But yeah. you, you can't expect them to be completely compliant inwardly and outwardly to anything because we are failures. And so the law should, you're right, it should act to lead us to the cross, but not lead us to act of outward obediences to rules and regulations, ordinances. They were nailed to the cross. Well, yeah, the, the ceremony law, but not the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments too, because they were fulfilled. Jesus, murder, murder is still a sin. Um, lying is still a sin. Sure. And and do you have you ever lied since you were a Christian? Everyone has. We oh, all exactly. lie. Exactly. We so, need to cross. Exactly. That's the point. Is but that I'm we saying, are saved by His grace through our faith. And, 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 and the law cannot have an operational uh, voice in our Christian lives. Yeah. It's well, a, it's a concept. In, it's a concept that would take more than just our phone call to really be able to examine. And really, we should do that because it's so important and so many Christians miss the, miss the point of it, too. Yeah, I'm just afraid that they're teaching, the, the way they're teaching it is making people think that, okay, I can just do what I want. Yeah, I would, I would, I would hope that would never be the case because oh, that, the Scripture that, does that, not that teach do what you want. That's called antinomianism, and it's called lawlessness, and Paul spoke yeah. against that very thing. Absolutely. And in Matthew 5, he says, Think not that I have come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Right. You know, not one jot or tittle shall in no way pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And who fulfilled it, Randy? Jesus fulfilled it. That's right, because we couldn't. That's and what he we, was saying And there. while we are on this earth, the law is still binding. No, the it's not. Still... No, it's not. The law is not binding, Randy. And this is a conversation again. I got to move on, but we'll talk about that later on, okay? All right, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. God bless. Bye bye. Bye. We're going to Susie in Pleasant Grove. First time caller, Susie. Is this Susie? No, this is Amanda. Amanda from Georgia. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. 
Um, I just wanted to first off tell you that I think it's great the first thing you mentioned um, on the show tonight was about getting your name removed because that's what my question was about. Oh. So, Praise God. Um, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, um, for the past like three years, well, I joined the church three years ago, and last year I left with intentions of getting my name removed, and I had given my resignation letter to the bishop at that time um, when I was at BYU-Idaho. Uh-huh. And, you know, he had sent it to the stake president, all that kind of stuff, tried to talk me out of it, and I was like, no, I want to go through with it. Well, probably within the 30-day period, um, he had been calling me and um, kind of talked me out of it in a way, and I decided that I wasn't going to get my name removed. And I, I haven't been going to the church for about a year. I've been going to a Baptist church with my family. Hmm. But just it's been a real tug on my heart because I, I just feel like there's a really strong need to remove my name. And I, what, I, what I'm pretty much asking is I, I don't know who the current bishop would be for me. And the people in the town that I grew up in, um, which is the town right now, if I tried to talk to any of them, it would... I feel like it raised a lot of problems, and I was wondering, do I necessarily have to talk to a bishop, or can I just send a letter? Yeah, you can s- send the letter to Salt Lake City, and what they're going to do is they're going to look at your address, and they're going to see who your bishop is. They're going to write you a letter and say, this is an ecclesiastical matter that needs to be taken up with your local authorities. They're going to send him a copy of your letter, and then he is going to send people over or himself to talk to you, dissuade you, or he'll just do it because he's a bishop who wants to just take care of it and not worry about it. it, it yeah. the, the thing is, it puts it back in the local level control so that they can let everybody in that ward know that you are no longer or you asked your name to be removed. And so that's it will ultimately go back to him and you'll have to jump through those hoops. So I am going to have to talk to him probably. Uh, you can request in your letter to Salt Lake that you can just add a little paragraph. Look, I know you're going to send this to the local bishop. He is not to contact me. He's to follow through on my request. I hope you understand that if he contacts me, I'm going to sue your hat off. And uh, <laughs> try that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad to hear you're going to a Baptist church, Amanda, that you found the Lord and you're seeing the truth. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Susie in Pleasant Grove. Susie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Susie. <laughs> um, my question is about if you have any idea how much the church is growing, I guess. Because I have a colleague that his defense for everything is always that, you know, the church is growing so much that, you know, it must be right <laughs> and whatnot. And I, I grew up in a very large cosmopolitan city, you know, and spent the first 21 years of my life there. Yeah. And um, I never knew a Mormon or knew anything about it, actually. Yeah. So until I moved out here, so. Well, Susie, let me approach it in a couple ways. One, um, I have friends who are in church headquarters. I hope they are never discovered to be my friend. And uh, they tell me that they are at a a zero gain, that all their growth is coming from uh, uh, children being born and raised and baptized, and that they're at a zero game of outflow to influx because of the internet and programs and, and, and printed material that is teaching people about it. There's a very smart world out there now relative to Mormon history, and the missionaries are having a really hard time getting people uh, to come through all that junk. 
But at the same time, there's all kinds of reports that say they're the fastest growing. So let's just take that premise. Let's say they are really growing like leaps and bounds. There's 13 million members right now. Well, we have Islam that has a billion. Does that make Islam right? We have Buddhism and Hinduism. We have uh, Taoism and we have the Roman Catholic Church. Does that make that, uh, that Catholic institution of a billion people right? You know, size does not mean true. In fact, Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few be there that find it. And broad is the way to destruction. So when your friend starts saying, look at how fast we're growing, you might just recite a couple of those things to him and let him know, look at the kingdom of God is not going to be this flourishing thing. In fact, in this day and age, I would suggest it's probably going to become uh, smaller and smaller. All right. Well, thanks. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thanks for All calling. Right. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to Heather on line four. Heather, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hey. Okay. So I just, really quick, I just want to know, um, in a nutshell, what is your opinion on Scientology? In a nutshell, that's the proper receptacle for it. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer. He sold many books, a popular science fiction writer, not just some guy. He wrote and sold books. And then yeah. he decided to come up with this, this system, this theology, and it is, uh, it's a mockery, at least to biblical Christianity. It's a, it's a cult. If I'm going to use the C word. I usually don't, but it's a cult. I mean, okay. and I, I, I think that Scientology is a man-made religion no different than other man-made religions. Okay. Okay. That's, okay. And then my other question is, um, Scientology, don't they believe heavily in alien cultures? Yeah. That yeah. So what is, what is Christianity? Does Christianity believe that Earth is the absolutely only celestial body that has life on it? It depends on the, on the Christian. The Bible doesn't address it. And so Bible-believing Christians are going to say, I go by the word, by our manual, and I'm not going to venture outside of it. Okay. Um, but some more liberal Christians or more scientifically-minded oriented Christians might say they believe there is. Uh, others would say, no, there's not. It's one of the things that you, I, I don't think you're going to die on. It's not a hill to die on or split a church over. It's just going to be one of those, uh, those opinions like, does Adam have a belly button, you know? Right. So, so you would say that, um, that Christians that believe in um, life outside of Earth, are, they're not anti-Christian. It's just a different belief. I think that it's one of those personal uh, beliefs. I think it's extra-biblical. And I think you always run into danger when you, when you tap into things that are extra-biblical outside of the biblical authority. But, okay. uh, I, you know, th things are fun to kind of co have conjecture on. And so I would not view that as something that I wouldn't have fellowship with a Christian over, no. Okay. Okay, well, that was my question. I won't take any um, Thank of your time. Thanks, Thanks Heather. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. You know, Scientology, just to let you know, um, you, you go through that uh, system through steps. And each step costs more and more money. Uh, and you pay more and more and more. And what happens is, is you sit across from somebody who's called an auditor. And you hold these two metal bars. And the auditor sits there and he looks at something. And he's trained. And, and these metal bars gauge the, the uh, frantic tension in your soul. And they ask you questions and you answer. And, and then pretty soon you go through all these auditing steps and you become clear. They call you clear. Tom Cruise is supposed to be clear. All right? And you become clear. And why do you want to become clear? Because when you die, 
you look out at the vast amount of bodies that are going to be coming to this earth and you make a choice. And if you're clear, you'll sit back and say, no, I don't think I want to be that beggar in the street of India. Yeah, I think I want to be that prince over there in uh, England. And you make a wise decision. But if you're not clear when you die, you're so full of angst and terror that you pick the very first thing and it might be a dog or it might be a, 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 a beggar or something. And so you have to go through the auditing process in order to become clear. That's Scientology in the nutshell. Let's go to um, Rochelle in Roy, first time caller. Rochelle, you're on Heart of the Matter. Rochelle? 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 Hey, turn your TV down. Are you on the air? Yeah. Turn your TV down. You're on the air. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Who are you? Oh, my name is Sam. Sam? Yeah. What's going on, Sam? Oh, I was just watching the, your program on the TV and I saw the number and I think about calling to, you know, asking a question. All right. What, what's your question, Sam? Uh, you know, I kind of like the way how you... Uh, is that you talking or someone yeah. else? No, it's me. Oh, yeah. I'm just wondering because uh, I like to think because I'm... I think I like uh, joined the Mormon Church, but I'm excited. I don't know if I really join it. I'll, I'll go to the Muslim. I think Muslim they have many wives, <laughs> and they have some kind of belief that I think is better than uh, Christian. Really? Yeah. So, so, did I understand your question right, Sam? You're thinking of becoming a Mormon or a Muslim? Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, and you like the Muslims because they have many wives? Yeah, I think like that. <laughs> you know, they believe there's more chance to go to the other life and have virgin women. Hey, hey, Sam, what do you think just about Jesus alone? Just, just going to Jesus and having him become your sovereign king, your lord of your life, and, and, and confessing him as your savior and king. What do you think of that? Oh, I believe in Jesus, but I think the Muslim is... Uh, it's more powerful uh, religion. Yeah, it is a powerful religion. Yeah. Well, Sam, uh, you know, maybe you could talk to somebody. Maybe you could call us back. Maybe you could leave your phone number and you and I could have a conversation uh, if you're serious about that. But yeah. Islam uh, is a, is a non-Christian, legalistic uh, religious institution that will take over your life. And uh, it, Jesus, there's no liberty in Christ found there. So I'd be very careful with those desires, my friend. And one thing, I, uh, is your name Sean? Is yeah. That right? Yeah, it's Sean. Yeah, yeah. I, I watching and you mentioned something about the church. They're not growing uh, because they have more babies and stuff like that. Yeah. I thought that they are uh, uh, said on the news that more larger number of people that are joining to the church. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's true, Sam. We only have... Sam, we only have 15 seconds left. I appreciate your call. Keep watching the show. God bless you. Listen, uh, tune back in next week. We'll continue talking about atheism. Take your calls here on Heart of the Matter.
Cage. 